This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Alan Sharp, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute. Welcome to Ask the CIO SLED Edition, our state and local program, Alan. Great to have you on the air. I guess I should back on the air. Yes, it's great to be back. Thank you, John. Alan, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you, and that is your presentation that you made along with uh, Doug Robinson uh, back in January on the forecast of 2020 for spending at the state and local level. And you indicated this was a rosy scenario, one of the best we've seen in the years that we've been involved in this business. So what's going to be the impact on IT priorities and spend? We're at a very unusual time now. I wrote an article recently uh, where I was saying, you know, this is, uh, this is right in the middle of what we call in California the May revise, where you take the governor's budget that came out in January, and then the legislature and the governor's office negotiate over the next five or six months until they come up with a final budget in May or June that uh, will be the basis of the July 1st budget that's introduced for the next fiscal year. So what's the impact on IT priorities and spending at the local government level uh, now in the pandemic era? Well, I kind of hear two questions. One is what will be the overall impact and what will be the priorities? I'm one like you who survived the 2008 recession and we can learn a lot by that in terms of what was cut we lost thousands, in fact, I would say millions of public workers across the United States. And that was mild compared to now. In fact, the good news that we were just reporting probably is the first time since 2008, 2009, the so-called Great Recession. In this case, we're hearing from many people that there may be overall cutbacks of anywhere from 20 to 35%. And that's going to uh, come at the cost of both people as well as other kinds of capital spending and other things. So that's going to put a real crimp on things for years to come. And there's a second question in all of this, which is how long is this really going to last? In other words, what will the new normal look like? Uh, Because I'm hearing people saying, you know, I don't need as much real estate anymore. I'm not sure we need as many offices as we thought we needed. This is where we're demonstrating that we can do a heck of a job working remotely. And that's never been proven. Telework has always, at least in local government, has always had a kind of a suspicious eye towards, are they really working? So I think it's, it's proving that, wow, people are actually stepping up. They're working longer hours. I know I am. So I think there will be cutbacks in staff and our people are getting ready for that. And unfortunately, one of the first things to get cut is travel. Uh, the other is training. And, and one of the questions we've asked people, you know, how are you doing with certification of staff? How, and every one of them has talked about the need for more training and returning. So that's going to be a, a kind of a real challenge. On the other hand, I think the priorities are going to be anything to do with public safety, which is always the case. And then I think anything geared towards a mobile environment. I think, you know, the idea of a desktop is over. 
I think people are thinking mobility. And so they're thinking smaller. They're going to be thinking of maybe we can get by for some people on uh, maybe iPad Pros or equivalent. Uh, maybe we can get by with Chromebooks or equivalent. So I think we're going to be thinking very differently in terms of what are the tools that our public workers really need to be productive? How do we best support that? And we may be able to do that because of the advancements, including security of the cloud. You know, the cloud came at a good time because the cloud can be anywhere. Uh, our access is easier. We can probably save an awful lot of money than the duplication of having everybody with their own network. I think the people who will be hit particularly hard will be smaller uh, cities and counties because they can barely keep up with what they have with all the obligations of regulations of CGIS and HIPAA and uh, other kinds of uh, regulations of privacy and all the security threats being laid upon them. They're going to have the biggest issue. They're going to have to move to the cloud. I think shared services is going to be more important than ever. I'm hoping that working with Doug and Nasio, that maybe we can come up with some pilot projects that really help this move along. Many of the smaller cities and townships in New England is a great example. I mean, no one would build a state or organize it as they were, as they are today, because they were organized in the 1700s. And it's a different deal. Now, many of these little communities are being operated as much as a homeowners association as a local government. Do they really <laughs> need to have their same infrastructure duplicated? There are all these small hamlets and localities. There needs to be governance and there needs to be elected leaders, yes. But do they need to have separate little mainframes here and there that they can barely protect and support? Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a call. And what we saw in 2008 is going to happen now on steroids. And that is when you have a scarcity of resource, you have unbelievable innovation. And remember, innovation isn't always solved by technology, but it is all about how do we do things differently and better. Technology is going to play a big role for sure. You're absolutely right. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, it reminds me of looking at your survey. One of, the, uh, one of your charts that really jumped out at me uh, involved the question you asked your local government partners. You asked them about their relationship with the state CIO in particular. And while about 30%, as I recall, said they had an excellent or a good relationship, over half had no relationship at all. And that's an interesting point, particularly when I talk to people like uh, our friend in Nebraska, uh, Ed Toner. Ed Toner told me that he actually is the data center for almost 100 counties in Nebraska. And that's just about all of them. So it's really interesting how that relationship is so strong in some particular areas, but it doesn't exist in others. And I think it's in line with what you just said that we're seeing something that's totally different and people are going to have to reassess. Do I, do I need 50 unemployment systems around the country or 50 DMVs? And the same thing could be said many times about data centers, et cetera, at the local level. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, Doug and I have tried at different times over the last, we both had been our respective organizations over 15 years. We started near the same time. We're very much into shared services, but it is a true mixed bag. Most local government CIOs don't even know who the state CIO is. Mm. Um, part of that is not because either side 
is trying or not trying, it has more to do with what their perceived responsibilities are. Let's go back and, and recognize that most state CIOs, their, their tenure is very much aligned with a governor and very often their time span there is like two and a half years. So mm -hmm. they're never there long enough to really take on something from one moment to the other as, as other people might like. And they're seen as supporting the executive branch. Mm -hmm. And so if that is their calling, so be it. They don't see it as part of their mission necessarily to reach out other than as some states do say, well, we have a schedule and they can borrow, buy stuff on our schedule and collect it where we can yeah. have some money. But it's more than that. In fact, it's a little bit misleading. Uh, you know, Doug and I have talked about this, but NASIO had its survey where they talked about a, an inordinate number of uh, states providing uh, services on cybersecurity to local governments. And I said, mm -hmm. Doug, is it different between offering something and providing something. And he, he admitted that the word that they chose was probably not the best word. It is most of our people, if they were asked specifically on that, would say we, we're unaware of any of these things. So there clearly is a communication gap. I think there's willingness to do more. I see this in Texas, certainly Nebraska. I see this, especially with cybersecurity in Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, and so uh, North Carolina. So there is a change. Uh, there is a recognition that you hear the term, we hear it all the time, we're in this together. I think that that mindset is starting to take hold and people are realizing that we really need each other in ways we really hadn't appreciated. Oh, that's, that's for sure. And, and this conversation a bit reminds me of the one I've had over the last uh, year or more. I remember a CIO in California or in Massachusetts, I should say, back in the mid 90s and California in the late 90s, 1990s, consolidation and outsourcing, particularly in data centers, was such big news and consolidation has been going on forever. But I can remember the first arguments I'd have with these uh, directors of DMV and the directors of the Department of Revenue that had been convinced by their department CIO that if that data center moved out of their building, you know, all hell would break loose and they'd never be able to serve their constituencies. And what has happened though, and I've said this before, all of a sudden there's cloud computing and what uh, outsourcing couldn't do for data centers, the cloud has. And basically it's making everybody realize that we uh, maybe we don't need these uh, Goliath dinosaur mainframes in every building or at every state capital when we uh, can do it for a lot more effectively and a lot cheaper uh, with the cloud and working with vendor partners. So, you know, I've always said that in the good times, uh, when budgets are flush, you don't get that kind of uh, investigation of cheaper alternatives that you will start to get, I think, as we address the budget impacts of the, uh, of the coronavirus. It's a whole new world in more than, more than one way. I totally agree. In 2007, we did a survey asking our local government CIOs what they thought of the cloud, and about 98% said, we do not favor this, we can't control it. By law, we have to protect our data. We need to have everything on premise. Mm -hmm. But then the recession happened. That's why, once again, I say, when you have adversity, um, you have opportunity, and it makes you think in innovative ways you haven't before. We've done more recent surveys, and now it's like, show me the way. Uh, they're already there. They're doing that with the low-hanging fruit, like email and other actual applications. And it's really also about life cycle of equipment. We have many uh, systems that are reaching end of life, and that becomes the moment in time when one has to make a decision. Do I upgrade to something new, or do I move it into a kind of a virtualized environment in the cloud where I'm paying somebody on a contract basis 
to provide better security than I might be able to do on my own, to have better access, better storage, better response time than I would. When you make those decisions based at that moment in time, I think more people are going to move their operations to the cloud. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, we're going to take a short break now. Our guest today is Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. I'm Jared Serbu. Each week, our program on DOD features discussions with the military's top brass, Smith civilian executives, and defense thinkers on how the Pentagon operates. It's reliable information from the people making and executing policy. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Federal News Network or subscribe to On DOD on iTunes or Podcast One. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Jason Miller's Reporter's Notebook is the insider's guide to the federal community. Subscribe at Federal News Network. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute. Uh, Alan, we were just discussing before the break the impact that all this is having on uh, the thinking among state and local government IT leadership, and that is uh, it's going to have to be a different way of doing business. You've discovered that uh, that telework is... Uh, not something that we, it's just a fad. It's not something that we put up with just uh, on occasion, but it's going to be baked in from now on. Let me move the conversation over to something else. I consider the most disruptive IT impact at the state level has been the surge of unemployment. That impact on legacy state unemployment insurance systems has really taken a toll. And in fact, I was contacted uh, just recently, uh, yesterday, the LA Times reporter, uh, wondering about, it's called the uh, EDD, the Employment Development Department. It's coming under fire again because of the breakdown by the surge of applications. And he wanted to know if this is just another part of the sad California stories and histories of big IT projects. And I had to tell him, I said, maybe if it was an isolated case, but, I mean, if you do a Google search on uh, UI, state UI systems in the news, I mean, you, you're going to get a load. You're going to be scrolling, let me tell you that. There's a lot of it. But it really, as far as I know, that really doesn't impact local government so much, does it? No, except for the fact that sometimes people aren't sure where to go. So yeah. very often they're going to call the local government because they're closer. They under, they know who these people are. And then thinking that maybe there's a relationship directly tied to their benefits, which they're not receiving. But you're right. It is it's national. It mostly affects states. Now, there are some local governments that have their own issues of legacy equipment. And this thinking oh, yeah, that, that troubles me is like, you know, it's like, quote, unquote, one more year. Or uh, if, it, if it works, don't fix it. Public institutions, by and large, have been underfunded. Now, there's a public who wants everything, 
but they don't want to pay for it, which I understand. So it's this unhealthy tension. And now we see the results. I mean, who would have foreseen what's going on now? But some states it's legacy equipment. Others, it's just ridiculous equipment, like in Florida, where they can barely, where, where right now, I think they're, they're processing six or 7% of the checks. Um, that is almost like a national scandal. And it's, it's not the system is crashing. It's just it's a capacity thing. So in some cases, you have systems crashing. In others, they have a chaotic, mostly manual process where people are physically having to come to the office to process requests because they never really thought they needed to automate it in the way that, that we now know needs to be done. Yeah. I was reading about New York cases, especially egregious, because when you apply for unemployment, you kind of have to do it twice. Mm -hmm. You have to put in a claim, and then you have to, in one system, and then you have to go to, go to another system to file the particulars of, uh, of where you work. And uh, they're trying to get around that by bring, uh, bringing in the tech surge that I uh, referred to earlier to trying to bring a system uh, more up to date and getting, I think they're brought in Google to help them do it. It's a difficult time, and obviously, uh, when you're talking things like unemployment and you've got uh, 25 or 30 million people and growing uh, unemployed, and those are just the ones that file claims. Uh, it's become so difficult that number could be significantly larger. Yeah, the systems are obsolete for the most part. They were never designed for this kind of uh, quantity and the time frame that uh, they need to process. And many of these systems, which you may have seen uh, ads in New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, looking for COBOL programmers. I mean, this is archaic. This is COBOL. I mean, this is good news for anybody who's retired and would like to be busy and help. But some of the workarounds that need to be fixed are, are much more difficult than one might think. It's not just merging two systems. If they're written in COBOL, there's an enormous challenge. You just don't write an interface. Some of the software programs that they're operating under do not lend itself well for add-ons. They do not lend itself well for added features. They barely can process what they have as they did 50 years ago or more. So this is going to be an enormous challenge to how do they get out from this hole, not just to process the checks now, but now that they've been exposed to these deficiencies, will this now become a priority? But there's so many priorities. Yeah. I'm not sure what the answer is yet. Yeah, I'm not either. But uh, on that same point, uh, obviously we see that uh, this occasion presents itself uh, where federal, state, and local, as we've discussed, must fully embrace a telework environment. And in addition, the, uh, a modernization of those ancient mission-critical eligibility and case management systems at the state and local level. Now, as I mentioned and we discussed, UI doesn't directly affect local governments, but a lot of these other systems, counties especially, play a huge role. Uh, and where you have child welfare systems and welfare eligibility systems and child support systems and so on that have active local government participation, direct participation, it's one thing that I've learned during this whole investigation of the issue, and I didn't know this before, but those systems that I just talked about, those case management systems that we're so familiar with, those are funded directly by uh, the federal government, 80, 90% sometimes. But UI systems, the UI systems, and the federal government is uh, you know, funding the unemployment uh, insurance system, they don't have set-asides like that for IT. They kind of just give them a block grant to UI and say, do with it what you want. So the state really has to prioritize whether or not they're going to use that money to build a 
new computer system or spend it on uh, other program needs or even benefits themselves. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that either, but I, you, you mentioned the important role that counties are playing. And I, I don't think people realize that when we just keep talking about cities and counties, they are very different uh, in terms of their missions and the customers that they serve, the citizens that they uh, serve. Uh, the state is a administrative agent in many cases of the federal government for distribution of the various programs. But the county uh, is an agent for the state. So if the state is disorganized or doesn't have the resources, you can imagine the impact it's going to have on the county. And for many, for most cases, the citizens look to the county and say, wait a minute, why can't I get this? I'm right here in your office. I see it on the screen. Um, so there, there needs to be a better understanding of how monies are flowing from Washington to the state and then through the county. And it's not a pretty sight. Mm -hmm. Well, we only have a minute or two left, and I wanted to come back to something you uh, you made some very great points on earlier, and it's right in line with my thinking. And I've discussed this with a number of state CIOs around the country uh, during this uh, coronavirus epidemic, and that is the uh, CIO governance model, uh, which, as you know, varies from state to state and local governments to local governments. Uh, there's probably three or four, probably five or six different models of where the CIO is in the organization. You have the strong CIO model where you have a solid relationship with the boss, the governor, the mayor, and you actually have policy and operational authority. And then you have weak CIOs with just policy, don't have big operational budgets and don't have a lot of say in how money gets spent. Well, during this time, these CIOs, whether they're in a strong position or a weak position, they're starting to be in meetings every day with the governor. And you have the ones that have that long time strong relationship that are able to get things done. And you're having governors look at these other CIOs that maybe they haven't given a seat at the table. Frankly, they've only met them at uh, Christmas parties and retirements. All of a sudden these, these people have become the critical element in keeping the state or local governments on its feet. I think this is gonna turn out to be in spite of the the problems with things like the UI system. I think this is going to go down as IT leadership at the local government level, especially the state and local government, especially. It's going to be their finest hour, Alan. What do you think to that? I totally agree. And I applaud it. I mean, these people have been heroes in my mind for so long and now they're being recognized. I mean, I hear this, I ask people, you know, are you being recognized? Oh yes. You know, I can get anything I want right now, but we're in a new realm. I don't think we're ever going to go back to the old ways. I think we're going to have a distributive workforce. I think the strong CIO is going to be the, the model of choice. Not everybody rises up that some will need some professional development to get to that point. Um, some people uh, trainings and certifications, I'm a big believer in mm -hmm. that to understand from others the experiences and you can't just get that from inbreeding. You've got to reach out mm -hmm. and that's why training mm -hmm. should be part of everything that everybody does and ongoing training. So yeah. yeah, this is the moment for the CIOs to shine at the state and local government level for yeah. sure. I always thought maybe we'd have something similar. The only thing that, uh, that I recollect in my experience that may have been similar to this was the Y2K challenge, but mm. uh, frankly, because nobody suffered from it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> nobody thought we had a big job to do, but uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, this is, this is going to go down as a, a real change in the whole paradigm of uh, CIOs and their leadership and their relationship with their chief executive officer. And it's all a good thing. Yes. Alan, it's always wonderful to chat with you. It's great to hear about uh, uh, 
uh, things going on at the local level. So we're going to have to conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. It's been great. John, always a pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity. And thank all of you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, SLED Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.